Do you like a challenge? Uh, maybe it's walking a pilgrim trail uh, or starting a new job, repainting your house. Uh, Michael's goal this year, after his major operation a couple of years ago, was to run in the city to surf. That's a challenge. John and Alicia are planning on knocking down their house and rebuilding a new one. That's a challenge. Uh, Juhi is studying at Bible College in her second language. That's a challenge. Uh, but are there any more challenging words than those of Jesus in today's Bible passage? First in verse 25, he said, Anyone who comes to me and does not hate his family cannot be my disciple. There is no one we love more or are more loyal to than Jesus. Or in case you didn't think that was challenging enough, how about verse 27? Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me can't be my disciple. You have to be willing to die to follow Jesus. Or in case you think that's not challenging enough, how about verse 33? Anyone who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Now, did you notice those verses when Steve read them for us earlier? If you are looking for a challenge in life, then look no further than following Jesus. But what does that mean? What it means is you need to consider whether you can meet the cost because following Jesus is so challenging, you need to think carefully about whether it's worth it, whether you can count, you need to count the cost. Uh, it'd be foolish for Michael to enter the city to surf race if he couldn't do any training. Uh, or it would be foolish for John and Alicia to demolish their old house <laughs> before they'd worked out uh, how much it would cost to build the new one. They might end up at Bill and Erica's forever. <laughs> uh, it would be foolish for Juhi to arrive in Australia with no plan, not having enrolled in Bible college or any plan for how she was going to pay for it. That would be foolish. You see, the greater the challenge, the more important it is to make sure you're willing to pay the cost. Now, that's what Jesus says straight after he challenges his hearers. Have a look at it there in verse 28. It's printed there on the inside of your news sheet. Verse 28. He says, There's a fool, it's a foolish builder who starts building before he calculates the cost. Or verse 31. A king who's thinking about going to war will make sure he's able to win. He's compared the size of his army with his enemies. Jesus' point. It is so challenging to follow Jesus. The challenge is so great, you need to make sure that you count the cost. You decide if you can pay the cost. Now, if you are not yet a Christian, if you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, welcome. It's wonderful to have you here. But it means you need to investigate and think carefully before you decide. You need to weigh up the benefits of following Jesus compared to the costs and decide whether you are willing to pay that cost, whether the benefit is worth it. 
But this is not just something that you do once. If you are a Christian, most of us here are Christians, this is a choice that you make every single day. Every decision you make to obey Jesus is a decision to bear the cost. You weigh up the benefits of following Jesus versus the cost. Obedience says, this is going to cost me money, effort, convenience, approval from people. But it's worth it because I trust Jesus. I trust that his way is best. It will bring me abundant life now and it will bring me eternal reward in the next life. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to pay the cost. But if you consider yourself a Christian and you realise that, well, being a Christian is not costing me anything, if your life looks exactly the same as everyone else around you, then maybe you're not actually following Jesus. Jesus says, count the cost before you follow me. We're in the section of Luke that describes Jesus heading towards Jerusalem, towards his death, and there are crowds that are following him. Last week, uh, chapter 13, verse 22, Jesus was travelling through the towns and the villages and he was teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And he's collecting people as he goes. And someone asks in verse 23 of chapter 13, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Out of all the people in the towns who hear, the smaller number who start travelling... How many of them will make it into the kingdom of God? And Jesus answers that many will try to get in through the narrow door, but won't get in. So people should make every effort to enter God's kingdom. It's not easy. That was last week. Uh, Crowds of people who are vaguely interested, interested a little bit. They're happy to listen, happy to watch, but not many willing to follow. Not many willing to give up their lives, to commit themselves, to trust Jesus. Not willing to bear the cost. And then in verse 25 and 26, we see that large crowds are travelling with Jesus. And he can tell that People follow for a range of reasons. Some are genuine, but many are not. And so he issues a challenge in verse 26. The first cost you need to count is the cost of family. Verse 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." Now, no one can accuse Jesus of sugarcoating his message, (laughs) hiding how difficult it actually is. No one can accuse him of misleading advertising. He wants genuine disciples, those who are single-minded, not half-hearted. He wants people who love God with all of their heart, mind, soul and strength. Back in chapter 12, Jesus said that he hadn't come to bring peace but division and that he would be the cause of families dividing. Now, he's not actually saying that Christians should hate their family. He's not saying you should hate your family. He's saying 
that your family must come second to Jesus. If it comes to a choice and you're forced to choose between Jesus and doing what your family wants, then Jesus comes first. Obviously, a choice of which religion you will follow, but also in in smaller decisions, like your priorities in life, or what career you will choose, or, or how your children will be raised, or educated, or disciplined. These are the sorts of decisions where we sometimes have to choose between family and what Jesus wants. In these decisions, Jesus must come first and family comes second. Now that's, that's a theoretical choice for many of us because our families will accept us whatever we choose. But in many parts of the world, and for some of you, that cost is real. Converting to Christianity means uh, people are disowned by their family. They are rejected. And for many cultures, other than Australian white culture, uh, this is a much greater cost than we can sometimes understand. Uh, For many cultures, a responsibility to family is one of the most important moral choices that you can make. Anyone who follows Jesus must count the cost of family. You gain Jesus, but it may cost your family. Well, next, Jesus adds to that challenge. Uh, Consider the cost of your life. Verse 27, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now that phrase, carry your cross, I think it's lost its shock value from when Jesus first used it. It it becomes part of our language at the moment. Oh, he had a hard day, the coffee machine was broken, he's going to have to carry his cross today. You know, it just sort of means life's difficult. But it would have been shocking when Jesus said this. To carry a cross means that you are on your way to death. Anyone who follows Jesus has to count the cost of his own life. Jesus gave his life for us and he calls us to give our lives for him. Many Christians today are actually killed for being Christians. They're they're martyred for their faith. Today, people will die because they follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus, it it means handing over your life. Your life is no longer yours. Your time is no longer yours. Your ambition is no longer your own. Your work, your talents, your possessions, your career, your money, they are not your own. They belong to Jesus. Which is really what it means down in verse 33 when he says, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. We count that cost at least in some sense, when we first become Christians. I don't don't think we really understand a lot of what Jesus expects of us when we first become Christians. We understand more as we grow, but we understand something. We count that cost to hand over our lives to Jesus 
when we first become Christians, but we do it every single day after as well. Every day we wake up and we choose, once again, I'm handing over my life to Jesus. Today, Sunday the 10th of September, he wears the crown, not me. It is the 10th, isn't it? Sunday the 10th of September, he is in the pilot seat, I'm in the co-pilot seat. It's not the other way around. He's flying the plane. Now, I think this is why lots of people turn away from Jesus. Uh, Either don't follow anything or or maybe choose uh, a spirituality. I'm a spiritual person or or an Eastern religion. Uh, Because those choices, they, they don't demand anything from you. There's no cost. Your life remains your own. You can just add things that you like onto your life. You can choose how you live. You can decide what's right and wrong. But don't think you can do that with Jesus. You can't accept him as your saviour but not accept him as your Lord. Count the cost. Jesus demands your whole life. You will gain Jesus but it will cost you your life. And when Jesus is in charge, one of the things he demands is that you put yourself last. If you follow Jesus, who humbled himself to death, then he calls you to humble yourself as well. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And Jesus calls us to do the same, to put ourselves last, and others first. So count the cost. Are you willing to put yourself last? Jump back to the start of the chapter. Verse 1, Jesus is eating at the home of a prominent Pharisee. He's the top guy. But there's no generous hospitality. There's no looking out for those underneath him. This is an opportunity for Jesus to be carefully watched. They've prepared a test, a a trap. There's a man suffering from a disease called dropsy, a fluid build-up in his limbs. And he's right there in front of Jesus while they're having lunch. And it just so happened that it was the Sabbath. To heal would be considered work, which is breaking the rules of the Pharisees. Now, interestingly, this is now the fifth time, as Luke tells Jesus' biography, that Jesus meets a sick person on the Sabbath. We saw one last week, about 20 verses ago. Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath. This is the fifth time Luke tells us. And the last four times Jesus meets someone on the Sabbath, what does he do? He heals them. And so the leaders have a fairly good idea what Jesus might do on this fifth time as well. He'll cure him. Why? Because that's Jesus. He sees a need and he wants to help. He always puts others first, especially the lowest, the least, the lost, the last, those in pain, those suffering, like this sick man. But that's not how the leaders are treating this man. Those who were first had no interest in those who were last. 
This poor sick man, he's, he's just a tool to be used in their plan to trap Jesus. Well, their suspicions about Jesus are right. He heals the man, he sends him on his way. That's what his kingdom is like. That's what the Sabbath is like. It's for setting people free. It's rescuing the weak and the humble and lifting them up. Then he starts on the hypocrisy of the leaders, verse 5. If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? Of course you will. You wouldn't think twice about breaking this rule to rescue your own family or even your own property. But where's your compassion for this guy? They have no interest in those who are at the bottom. And so they're they're a long way from being part of God's kingdom. But Jesus is not finished yet. He follows up his attack on the leaders with three more challenges for the guests, for the host, and for the presumptuous. We'll get to this man. These are challenges to encourage the people at this lunch to to get in rhythm with God's kingdom. Firstly, the guests. He notices in them the same attitude of pride and and a lack of compassion for the weak as, as the leaders. It's a different context, but it's the same sickness. Verse 7, when they arrived at lunch, he noticed how they all took the best seats. Those that were closest to the host. The ones with the greatest honour. But Jesus says that attitude is foolish. Verse 9, if the host notices when a more important guest arrives, he will move you to the lower seats and you will be shamed. Instead, verse 10, Jesus' advice is take the lower seat so that the host will move you up. And instead of being shamed, you will be honoured. And he concludes in verse 11, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now at the very least, he's talking about social etiquette, how people should behave in society, wise and sensible ways of interacting with people. But he's talking about much more than that. He's talking about counting the cost of following him. Jesus, who humbled himself to death on a cross, he challenges us to humble ourselves too. Not just where we sit at a dinner party, but in all of our life. He calls us to reflect his kingdom in the way we live, who and what we value. The cost will be that we'll end up last. We will miss out now. But the benefits, the rewards, will be that we are exalted, we are lifted up for eternity. And every decision we make now to humble ourselves is a decision that that cost is worth it because of the reward. He calls us to choose to put other people first, to value to honour, to serve other people, to listen to them, to respect them, to choose to notice the humble, 
the kids, to lift them up. He calls us to choose to put yourself to the back of the line now to suffer the shame, the ridicule, the snubs, the abuse. And you know, Christians have been doing that for 2,000 years. Uh, Christians have always been in every society all over the world. They've always been the first to care for the people that society overlooks, forgets, rejects. Christians are those who organise, set up organisations and ways to help widows, orphans, lepers, the elderly, the disabled, who educate children when no one else will. The reason we have SRE, scripture, in schools is because the churches used to teach. And when the government decided to take over education of kids, the churches said, well, we'll let you do that as long as you let us come in and teach about scripture. New South Wales is the only state where that's the case. Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years because they count the cost of being last and decide that the reward of being first, of being exalted in eternity, is worth it. Well, that's the guests. Verse 12, Jesus has a word for the host. He also needs to count the cost. He needs to put himself last and others first. The temptation when you throw a party is to invite the best, to invite the people who have the most to offer you. But instead, Jesus says, don't invite the people who can repay you, people you owe, people who have something to give. Instead, verse 13, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, those who have nothing, and you will be blessed. It won't be a blessing in this life, almost certainly. Putting yourself last and others first, it will have benefits in the next life. Verse 14, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Count the cost, says Jesus. You may miss out now, but you will be blessed then. That's God's promise. You can trust it. You can bank that. Too often, we look at what other people can do for us. We're strategic, we're we're careful to make sure we get what we need from our interactions with people. That's our temptation, isn't it? Jesus says, don't be like that. Give to those who can't give to you in return. Look to bless rather than to be blessed. Look for opportunities to give rather than to take. Not just with hospitality and invitations. Do it in all of your interactions with people. Think about how you can give rather than take. How you can give time. How you can give emotional energy. Loan your possessions. In conversations with people, listen well in conversations. Do you know, listening is more than just waiting for your turn to talk. Ask questions about people. Ask for people's opinions about things. 
Don't just tell them your opinion. Ask how you can help. Ask what you can pray for. Pray for them right there. Count the cost. Are you willing to put yourself last? Well, third, Jesus has a word for the presumptuous. I'll better tell you, presumptuous means people who are overconfident, who think they deserve more than they get. At least that's the way I interpret the man who makes the comment in verse 15. Verse 15, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. I think that's coming from a person who assumes he's in, that he's made it into God's kingdom, that he will receive his reward because he's one of God's people, the Jews. His invitation is there, it's signed, sealed and delivered. The feast in the kingdom, yep, I'm there, I've got my invitation, I just need to turn up. But is he willing to count the cost? And so Jesus tells a story about a man who holds a banquet, he invites all of the guests and they all reply, yes, I'd love to come. But it's not a priority for them. As they live their life, they count the cost of this invitation, of this party, and they decide it's not worth it. They value other things in their life more. And so when the reminder comes, suddenly they find excuses. They're too busy to come. They don't value what's being offered to them. It's not worth what they will have to give up. Verse 18, my field is more important than your party. Verse 19, my oxen are more important than your party. Verse 20, my marriage is more important than your party. And so instead, because the host is generous and he wants people in his party, he invites those he knows will come. Verse 21, the humble those who haven't eaten anything for weeks, the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And then again, it's still not full, so he goes looking even further away. Verse 23, those who are out in the streets, make them come in, compel them to come in. That's how much I want my house full. The humble will be exalted. But the arrogant guests, the one who presumed their admission, who didn't value their invitation, they missed out. Verse 24. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. The exalted, the overconfident, those who counted the cost and didn't think it was worth it, they were humbled. Of course, it's talking about God and the invitation he gives us through Jesus to be part of his eternal kingdom. And Jesus' point is nothing should be more important to you than making it into his kingdom. Not business, not land, not marriage, not families, not money. Nothing should be more important. Ask yourself 
these questions, says Jesus. Count the cost. Are you willing to put love for Jesus above your love for family? Are you willing to take up your cross in following Jesus? To make difficult decisions because Jesus is in charge? How is life different for you day to day because you are a Christian? How is your life harder? How are your struggles greater? How much less sleep or leisure time is there in your day because you follow Jesus? Are you willing to show your love for Jesus in the humility of everyday relationships? In what ways are you going to the back of the line rather than the front of the line? And are you content with that? Are you happy to pay the cost because of what you will receive? But if you are not yet a Christian, and you may be thinking, oh, gee, that all sounds a bit hard. That's pretty costly. Let me, let me remind you what you will gain, what you will receive for this cost, what it's all for, what's the reward that we receive. Verse 11 tells us that those who humble themselves now will be exalted. What's that mean? Well, verse 14 tells us there'll be a resurrection of the righteous. And verse 15 to 24 says it will be like a great banquet full of people. That's eternal life. It, these are pictures that describe our eternity. It'll be rich and real and wonderful. Eternity will be a celebration without pain and frustration and sickness and death. Now, that is all true, but above all, our reward, it's not a situation, it's not a place, it's not a meal. It's a person. The cost that you pay means that you come to a person. We receive Jesus. Verse 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me... Verse 27, he adds, if anyone does not carry his cross, he can't follow me. And whatever it costs me, whatever it costs us, Jesus is infinitely worth it. He's the one, verse 4, who has compassion for the humble and heals the suffering man and restores him. Now that's what he does for us. He does it generously and eternally and wholeheartedly. Jesus is the one, verse 11, who humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross so that we might be exalted. He's the one, verse 13, who courageously advocates for the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind in this life. He's the one, verse 23, with open arms, who goes out to the highways and the byways and the back lanes and the fields and brings us in, compels us to come in.
That's how big his heart is. So his house can be full. He's the one, verse 25, who carries his cross to a shameful death in obedience to his Father, out of love for the world. What is it worth that you would pay to receive a reward like Jesus? Well, it's worth everything. Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, these words from Jesus this morning are challenging. Perhaps they make us stop and pause and think about whether we can afford to pay this cost. Help us to see the value of Jesus and what we will gain. Help us to see uh, his worth, his beauty, his generosity, his patience, his goodness, his power, his forgiveness. That we might pay anything to receive a treasure like that. Amen.